Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about Ridley Scott as we did in our episode about Alien. But today we're going to talk about Ridley Scott's newest movie, and that would be Napoleon. This movie stars Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon Bonaparte and Vanessa Kirby as Josephine, and it's about Napoleon. And, like, that's very close to the best summary I can give. I struggle with a summary in this movie, uh, for this movie, as you will shortly see, or here, I guess. This starts at what you could call the beginning of his career, and it ends at the end. And it tries to get, sort of, tries to pack everything in there. It's uh, a herculean task for two and a half hours and um well you're about to see what our thoughts are on how ridley scott managed to achieve that i'm not going to give away too too much but um this is uh i i always like our episodes so i hope you will too leading into this episode i'm going to give you guys a little bit of martin phipps soundtrack for this this is going to be napoleon's piano To another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. Today, we're going to talk about something historical. Uh, I want to ask first, Pierre, what do you know about Napoleon? Um, <clears throat> I feel like I just started learning about him. I watched Oversimplified, which is, I don't know if you've watched it, but it's a YouTube channel that oversimplifies historical events. And in a very fun way, I guess. And that's kind of when I I first got to like learn more about Napoleon. But since then, I've been, I want to say I've been reading more about him. He's a very interesting uh, person to me. And uh, I can't believe I never like looked into him before. I, uh, I mean, I don't say it all the time, but I don't keep it a secret either. Like I went to, uh, I went to school in Europe. So I'm actually a little bit surprised that I don't know more about Napoleon. I guess I didn't go to school in France, but and <laughs> yeah, okay, I wasn't yeah. and I wasn't like fantastic in history. So, you know, there's there's those two things. Yeah. But I'm definitely aware of a lot of things that Napoleon did, but I couldn't tell you very much about him. So, I was going into this movie as as much as one can go into a Napoleon movie blind. I was basically going into this movie blind. Yeah. Uh, same i think i watched one well at least movie wise i watched one trailer and it looked kind of cool but it wasn't I, I i mean i don't really watch trailers like that anymore i used to like watch a trailer and then like it and i rewatch it a lot 
So yeah. I don't know if I didn't like the trailer. I just like I thought it was cool, but I didn't really know what they were covering in the movie, except for I know they were going to do the battle of Battle of Austerlitz, um, which is the snow fight, because that was a pretty big one. And I heard there was a lot of Josephine in this movie, which I was surprised by because from what I from what I've read about Napoleon or watched about Napoleon, his wife wasn't really mentioned that much. I'm not not saying she wasn't an important figure in his life, but I was surprised that they were going to give Josephine such a big role, considering all the other things he did seemed like it. It, it seemed like they want to focus on more the leadership and military achievements rather than um, his love life, which I feel like is, you know, a, a lot of d- other movies could portray with any characters, you know, like. Yeah, true. But I would also <laughs> say before we start talking about the movie, we have some other stuff we want to talk about first, but I would also say that like what I was hoping for this movie, cause it's what I'm kind of always hoping for any movie is that it was going to be, I don't know. You say that like, you could do Napoleon's love life with Josephine with like any characters, not that that's I'm paraphrasing heavily, but like you could do that love story with other characters. But I kind of feel like I've also seen, you know, plenty of big epic war stories that portray the wars, the wars and the battles really cool, but like don't do that much interesting outside of that. So certainly kind of what I was hoping for was, there's one thing in this movie that I had kind of heard about and I was really, really looking forward to. And this movie did actually deliver on. I wanted to know why Napoleon was such a weird little guy. And uh, I think that this movie did a pretty good job of looking at that, like making Napoleon into a character, not just a historical figure. Yeah, they they definitely delve into it. I, I'd say that that is something that has bothered me in the past is that like I, I'd say what bothered me a bit about Oppenheimer is that they seem to hint towards, you know, women being a big part of his life. But for the most part, they cast some amazing actors as his love interest and they were just kind of thrown to the side and used as, in my opinion, they were mostly used as uh, kind of a backdrop to Oppenheimer's story and weren't really of much. I, but I feel like it's a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, so like the women are kind of used as motivation in other in some ways whereas this movie i think does the opposite where <laughs> it delves into it a lot more than i was expecting but anyways mm-hmm. ridley scott director of so this we've, movie we've yeah. never talked about him before other than on our alien episode but that was yeah. a little special and uh he's done a lot of movies since alien i mean obviously because that was like 50 years ago now but yeah ridley scott i i don't think i can I want to stress that Ridley Scott does a lot of movies, like a lot, a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a recent interview, someone asked him about Martin Scorsese because Martin Scorsese said in an interview, like, I regret only that I don't have more, lo- more time to live so that I can keep telling more stories. And mm. someone asked him about whatever that quote was from Martin Scorsese. He was basically like, since Martin Scorsese started on Killers of the Flower Moon, I've made four movies. I think he's just slow. I don't know. I don't know if he said those exact words, but yeah, Ridley Scott does so many movies and he's very cocky about it. And the thing is like, he can back it up because a very good number of those movies are good. I would say at least the majority are, 
I mean, the majority, not even the majority, all of them are very competent and the majority are very good. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I don't want to compare them directly, but like if Killers of the, I don't think Killers of the Flower Moon was so good that it, it's the, the making of it was worth four Ridley Scott movies, if that makes sense. Like Ridley Scott, I'd, I'd say the movies, Ridley Scott's movies over the last four years weren't as good as Killers of the Flower Moon, but they weren't so bad that Killers of the Flower Moon was like, obviously like, of course, Martin Scorsese had to take like four years of his time to make that, you know? Mm-hmm. Or no, three, I guess, when did The Irishman come out? 20, oh no, it was 2019, right? Yeah, it was 2019, yeah. four years. So, <clears throat> it's been four years, so. Um, I, I do think it's kind of funny that <laughs> it's like the number of movies he makes is like a source of pride. I mean, in some ways it is. Uh, you can say what you want about his movies writing wise, but I would say they're they're all very well directed. Um, oh, yeah. For the most part, like they're technically all very well done and you can you can definitely tell Ridley Scott's a master of his craft at this point because he can just churn out these visually stunning movies with great production design do good casts etc yeah he's got some very very great collaborators and he's he's able to bring out you know even in the movies of his that aren't as good he's able to bring out iconic performances and actors like yeah. i don't know if you saw house of gucci but everyone in that movie is hilarious and yeah. not <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost entirely unintentionally hilarious, but not because they're like actively bad in a conventional way. Like Jared Leto is, he's really chewing the scenery there. It's technically, in terms of acting, I think it's I think it's a good performance, but it's real. It's wrong for the movie. It's probably wrong for movies, but I'm never gonna forget. Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Yeah, it, it is a very, I wouldn't say it's like an amazing movie, but I thought it was very well made and he definitely has a way with his actors, I guess. I don't know, you're right. Like even in the Alien franchise, like, I mean, the, the recent movies were rather odd, but um, Michael Fassbender puts in like absolutely amazing performances considering the movie he's in. But you I, could argue that's just Michael Fassbender's career in a nutshell. Too. See, <laughs> that's, that's the thing, though. I think I think <laughs> that's worth pointing out because, like, I have seen Michael Fass. I'm not gonna like call out any specific movie necessarily, but I've seen Michael Fassbender in movies where he was fine or like not great. Like, he definitely yeah. has some stinkers in his portfolio, and I don't just mean the movies. I mean, there's some performances where it's like fine, whatever. Yeah. But like. I think that regardless of the, you know, I didn't like the recent, the most recent Alien movies, the most recent like Ridley Scott Alien movies, but Michael Fassbender was like worth the price of the ticket to see the movie. Mm-hmm. He's so good in those movies. I would call them maybe not his career best performance, but it's like top 10 easy, par- probably top five is like his character in Ridley Scott's Alien movies. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Like I, I still I still remember his performances very well. And that's crazy considering I've only seen those movies once because I don't want to watch them again. I don't know. I, mean, I saw Covenant twice, I guess, technically. But yeah, so, you know, like I, a lot of respect for Ridley. I do think, you know, obviously his his output in recent years has been. I mean, we just mentioned Alien. Um, his, la- his output is very questionable, but 
I'd say it's forgivable just considering, um, you know, he's, he's older now. I, I still think he, he hits more than he misses, if that makes sense overall in his movies. I and his last, yeah. like his last movies before Napoleon are house of Gucci, which I didn't like that much. Uh, the last duel, which I loved all the money in the world, which I didn't see alien covenant, which like, mm, the Martian, which was which at the time I gave five stars, and rewatching it, I went a little down on that, but I still love it a lot. It's a very good movie, yeah. Yeah, and then Exodus: Gods and Kings, which has ups and downs, but I think is like, I I also thought that was a pretty good one. Yeah, well, it's also like, cool that he's able to go from blockbuster to, it's like he he has a very he has a very very like I feel like he can do an Oscar hit, he can do a blockbuster. And he can do kind of a mix of both with like the Martian, I'd say. Yeah, I I was thinking about it when you when we were talking about Scorsese like earlier. I don't know exactly the right way to say this, but I'm gonna try. With a Scorsese movie, like you can really feel Scorsese in there. Even though Scorsese doesn't write most of his movies, he like he has writers, and I guess he's involved, but you can really feel him in there because like the Wolf of Wall Street, no one else would have made that other than Scorsese. Like, Killers of the Flower Moon. He sunk four years of his life into it. And, like, it shows that he sunk a significant amount of time of his life into it. With Ridley Scott, I don't know that you necessarily feel Ridley Scott in quite the same way in all of his movies. Because they are so much more varied. Like, the themes... Like for the themes of the aviator and the wolf of wall street and killers of the flower moon are all related. They're done in different ways, but like they're all there. And in Ridley Scott, like, like Ridley Scott's movies, the Martian is nothing like Exodus gods and Kings. And it's it's got zero to do with alien covenant, even though they're both set in space. Like all of them are very different movies that when you're watching them, you can tell that it's like Ridley Scott behind the camera but yeah. you know, when when Ridley Scott says, "Oh, the next thing I'm going to do is Alien," or "The next thing I'm going to do is Gladiator," it's like, well, that makes sense, but I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really cool. Like, yeah, he's he's an unpredictable director. Um, and I, again, considering, I mean, we've talked a bit about it with Scorsese, but he's like, like Ridley Scott's 85. You know, that's like it's very impressive that, in my opinion, that he's able to keep feeling like a refreshing director um because what say what you will about his output but he has a very creatively inspired output (laughs) like he he has he has a vision and it's not always the best but they are very unique movies i'd say well and you just mentioned you just mentioned he's 85 which makes him older than scorsese so that's probably why he feels like that's probably why he feels comfortable making fun of scorsese because yeah that guy's a little young 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 little nerd (laughs) his time will come scorsese (laughs) will get his moment i mean i guess like because they were both making movies in like i want to say the 60s right probably um scorsese so Ridley no, Scott's Sa- Ridley Scott, never mind. Yeah, his Ridley Scott's first feature is 1977. Wow. That's surprising. So he was like 40, 40 something for his first movie. First feature movie. Because he's he was born in 1937. So oh 19- my God. yeah, it was 42. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> That's really cool. Hey, there's hope for you. Even if you're in your 40s, <laughs> maybe go make a movie. Ridley Scott's a testament to that. 
Um, yeah, my goodness, what was he? Doing I actually before? really want to read about that because I'm like, what was he doing for like between twenty and forty? Um, but yeah. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> we are talking about Napoleon today, as we mentioned earlier. Jeff, do you want to give a brief synopsis on the movie we were? Yeah, I mean. This week? It's it's about Napoleon, and it tries yeah. to be as holistic about Napoleon as it can. Like, it starts with Napoleon... It, it starts at the outset of the French Revolution, where Napoleon is a Corsican general, and I think he's... I think, it, I think the first thing it really shows him doing is trying to take over a fortress. And then um, it starts there, and then it about his entire rise all the way up to emperor of france and then his exile return to france and exile again and it's like everything it tries to do as much as it possibly can um yeah during that time a lot of shit happened napoleon got married he got married again he got divorced he got married again he had a kid he went he did multiple battles and like conquered lots of Europe. It got to the point where uh, where in the movie there's in the movie he has an ongoing rivalry with the Russian Tsar who eventually teams up with uh, Austria and England and I think a couple of other places to uh, take him down. And yeah, it's it's hard to just it's hard for me to summarize this movie because it's just his whole life everything um well as much as they can fit into two and a half hours which which i think overall isn't that much but yeah yeah and i'm gonna be honest the amount they want to fit into two and a half hours makes it feel very rushed yeah as well as long yeah the movie also feels very long in my opinion at least um so yeah i don't what would you think um well, there's so I way back in the day when it was when it came out in theaters, 2005, I went and saw Kingdom of Heaven, which at the time I think I liked. We went and saw it because my dad is a big history buff, and like this Kingdom of Heaven is about the Crusades, and it's a really cool movie about the Crusades. It kind of like takes on it takes on like one battle for Jerusalem specifically it kind of approaches it from both sides. Not not in a way of, like, who was right or, or anything. It just, like, makes really interesting characters out of uh, the Leper King on the one side and I think Suleiman on the other. They kind of lead the movie, even though ostensibly uh, the person who's in the cast as the lead actor is Orlando Bloom, who is nobody compared to them. Like, it's got these very interesting characters uh, who are making up this or like kind of make the crusades, which we'd, which as much as they are a famous event that we learn about in school, we don't learn enough about it sort of makes that into a real and an interesting conflict between uh, characters, which is really cool. However, I have heard that the theater version is fine. The director's cut is one of the greatest movies ever made which I haven't seen the director's cut, but that's what I've heard. People say that like the director's cut of that movie really, really, really improves it. And I've heard the same thing for another uh, Ridley Scott movie that I need to make sure that I watch here soon so I can stop bringing it up and saying I haven't watched it. Blade Runner. 
And this movie, to me, felt like, especially considering Ridley Scott has said he has a director's cut in the can, ready to go, ready to release, I think this movie would be vastly improved by a director's cut. Because this movie feels like it was cut to pieces. And I don't know if the director's cut will necessarily be good, but I thought that this movie... Like you said, it was both, it was long, but it was also, it also felt like it moved very fast to the point where, I don't know, it feel it felt like one event happens and then we got to get on to the next one because we mm. just got to keep, we get, we got to make it through everything. Yeah. And I feel like the director's cut might give it some more time to breathe, which makes me think that when you make a movie about Napoleon, it just has to be very long, I guess, because the only other movie I think about from, about Napoleon is a silent film from 1927 that's five and a half hours long. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this genuinely feels like an example where you can't really tell the whole story in a movie. Like, this have to be like a... I mean, Apple funded this. I feel like they could fund like a 10-hour a, a like TV show epic of Napoleon. I think that'd be really cool. Or something, I don't know. But maybe that would be even worse. Who knows? <laughs> It'd just be the same thing, but 10 hours. And they still wouldn't be able to tell everything. But yeah, I personally, I really, this is probably like, I think it's because I, I from what I've read about Napoleon, I, I think he's like so interesting that like watching, watching the movie just really, it really put a bad taste in my mouth. And like, I, I did not like it like at all. Um, I think it's very, it's a well-made movie technically, like the production design is amazing, the visuals in some parts are amazing, but it just felt like Ridley Scott wanted to tell a, he, he, he had a certain view of Napoleon and he wanted to tell that story. And at least if you're going to be like inaccurate, at least make it interesting. Like I think with The Social Network, that's one of my favorite movies. But, you know, I, I feel like I've learned that a lot of that movie isn't actually very true. I mean, parts of it are true, but like a lot of it is obviously fake. It's dramatized. It's characters are added like and changed to make more interesting as a movie. So I don't see that as like like the social network's a good movie, but I'm not like this. This is how Facebook was made, you know. Mm -hmm. So and I understand that because it's a good it's a really good movie. This doesn't do either where it. It really twists history from what I can tell in a way that just seems very um, weird for Napoleon, if that makes sense. And it, they want to shine him in a very poor light, which I'm not saying he was a great guy, but I think there could have been a much more nuanced look at him because it just feels like Ridley Scott was like, I don't like Napoleon and <laughs> I'm going to make him look like the weirdest, like shortest um sexually depraved uh person that i can and then and then present him as someone that was going to take over europe for some reason and i just i hated it like i genuinely like there's not many movies i wanted to walk out on this one if we weren't reviewing i i very likely would have walked out on it because it was just it was like a big it felt like a slap in the face to me like And because it's just, it wasn't interesting either. Like you said, the movie is like, the movie's cut to pieces anyways. So like, there's not even like a storyline to follow. So even though like, like the, the reason I was thinking about walking out is usually a movie's building towards something, right? 
this yeah. movie doesn't build towards anything. Like it just kind of follows events, but each scene is like separated from everything else. But then the scenes themselves don't even tell a story. Like we'll have a scene randomly of like Napoleon wanting to have sex with Josephine. And then he acts like a dog to get it like a literal, like, like dog. Like he starts like moaning and like, and like he lifts his leg like a dog would or something. Mm. And like, like, like steps on the ground with his leg to like indicate he wants sex. And she'll be like, very well. And then they'll have sex. And it's just like, why? We have a two and a half hour movie to describe, to tell the story of one of the most ruthless and interesting military. I guess he was a, he was a dictator. Dictatorships slash um, strategists of like all time. Yet there's so many scenes where it's just him wanting to have sex with his wife. Or him being like, your wife's cheating on you. And I get that that's part of the story, but it's like, it just feels weird that it's like, this is the priority in a two and a half hour movie, which is why like for the director's cut, I don't understand how it would improve it because I only, the only way it could be improved is um, because the only story there was really his story with Josephine. And I do not want to see more of him and Josephine. (laughs) (laughs) like because adding some more battle scenes or political scenes isn't going to fix this movie because those scenes don't actually add anything to the story it's literally just him and josephine but then they as characters have no chemistry i don't really know why they're together or why they fell in love um and it doesn't make sense and it's also historically inaccurate like heavily like like the the thing with the pyramids when he was in egypt this is weird too, because it's like Napoleon's first defeat was in Egypt, but they don't, and he ran away. He ditched his troops to get back to France, but he made it sound like a heroic gesture that he got back and he conquered Egypt. In the movie, oh. they say he went back because he found out his wife was cheating on him. And it's like, I don't understand. Like, it, did you want to, if you wanted to make him look bad, Mr. Ridley Scott, you could just say he lost the war there. Like, that's also a very, he did so why would you frame it as his wife cheated on him so he had to go back to deal with his wife yeah actually like the egypt the egypt scene is weird because like it feels more like a throwaway scene than it should because i don't know i think it could potentially be interesting if um i think i think it could be really interesting to show more of napoleon's defeats because the movie doesn't technically shy away from showing the battles where he was defeated. Like it shows Egypt, but I didn't know that was a defeat because I didn't know very much about his battles. And that movie doesn't portray it as a defeat. It portrays it as, you know, he deserts at one point, but then we just don't hear about Egypt anymore. So like, what are the effects of him deserting? Let's, let's assume he's deserting to go and see his wife to make sure she's not cheating on him. What are the effects of him? Like, pursuing that over his military ambitions right mm-hmm. that could potentially be interesting but then like the the egypt scene just kind of feels like it doesn't mean anything um mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i feel like i guess um so what i have read i've i it's only what i've read the movie's obviously not out yet but of the director's cut of this is that it's more him and josephine uh, which which may not be a good thing, but one advantage of even that, one thing that this movie really lacks, and I think you touched on it, is it doesn't really have a through line. Like, 
what is Napoleon trying to do? Is he trying to conquer Europe? Maybe. It doesn't really, that's not something that he says or anything. It's not like a mission statement anywhere. Is it just the love story between him and Josephine? Well, not enough that that dominates the movie, like, properly. It's enough that it takes away from the other parts of the movie. So I think, like, I think that this movie, I don't know, to me, this that's that's why I say this feels chopped up in the editing room, because I mean, it feels like there's an awful lot here, and they were like, what is how can we keep this under three hours and still mm. get in all the cool battle scenes? And so, you know, they got what they could and it ended up, and, and you end up not having the story there, basically. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know, dude. Like, I don't know what really Scott was thinking. Like, all I can think of is that he really doesn't like Napoleon because he's apparently I didn't know he was British actually I had no idea I've never seen an interview with him so <laughs> but apparently he's British and I'd, I've heard the British do not like Napoleon I mean um, the British typically don't reasons. like the French yeah so. exactly so and there was just like weird decisions like I just found it odd that all the French had British accents like obviously that's been done in movies before where it's like it's just so that they can cast actors that speak English and they don't have to have these weird French accents the whole time. Um, but it just made no, it's, it just felt odd. Like the, the movie frames itself as wanting to be historically accurate, even though it's I not. Don't, but I don't think the movie frames itself <laughs> as that at all. Well, I'd say it's like, it's definitely, um, how do I say this? Like, cause there are movies where I can understand like the accent doesn't really matter. Like, I don't know if you've seen Death of Snot Stalin, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a movie. Did we talk about that movie? Is that a podcast movie? No, we been. didn't. Oh, we okay. should, but we didn't yet. Um, but that's a movie where it's like I I don't care what accent they have. It's not really important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a movie that's like I'd say it's just very grounded, and um, yeah, it's it's portraying like you know it's specific with the dates. It'll be like this is the day. He was coronated this day he was exiled blah 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 like to me it felt like it wanted to portray that it it was trying to be historically accurate in my opinion mm-hmm. um compared to other movies that or like there's a recent one it's like a netflix movie but it was kind of a it was more of a story based in world war ii i can see why they wouldn't have french accents or whatever but this was like joaquin is using an american accent and then all the other french people around him have british accents <laughs> And then they and also like, meet other British people with British accents. And it's just like, what's like, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's a little more forgivable in, um, in the last duel where every single person in that movie is canonically French. So if they all speak English with whatever accent they normally have, it's fine. It's we're, we're hearing the translated version, whatever. But in Napoleon, yeah. like there are actual English people who play up their, their English accent it's like yeah. near the end but like the english accent isn't special if every frenchman has one yeah yeah so i thought that was i just i like that that doesn't ruin the movie it's just i just thought it was like it's it's one of those things where it's like you're just so bored that you these little things start to bother you um like all the letters to like just like at least make the relationship between him and josephine good 
it wasn't mm-hmm. good. It was very, to me, one dimensional. I mean, I, I could see there were layers to it. I mean, from what I've read, it's, I thought it was interesting that Josephine uh, was old, like quite a bit older than Napoleon. I think she was like eight, nine years older when, um, like, like historically. So mm-hmm. there's kind of this, this, um, this idea of this richer, older, richer, upper class woman um kind of taking this young napoleon because napoleon i think napoleon married so that he could kind of move up in society and she was apparently she was in debt and she just needed someone to get her out of debt so they married but then they they ended up having feelings later right mm-hmm. and it's just weird to me that like the movie kind of portrays that in a weird way but it doesn't like josephine played by by vanessa kirby does act older than napoleon because he's acting like a literal dog who wants sex like whenever he's around her but also Joaquin is very visibly like 50 years old and Vanessa Kirby very visibly looks like she's in her late 20s early 30s whereas you know obviously at the time Napoleon would have been around I think 27 28 and she would have been around 35 so during the events of the beginning of this movie Napoleon would have been 27 27 right okay so they they probably married when he was 29 30 she was 38 or something i don't know but but the point is that like like i don't know age shouldn't factor that much but like joaquin is very visibly quite a bit older and and they could have at least cast like paul rudd or something (laughs) like you know an older actor that looks younger or something but like joaquin is not someone where i'm like this is a 50 year old actor that doesn't age it's like no he quite visibly ages and it just doesn't suit the type of character he's playing, especially because he plays Napoleon as just, he's not just whiny around Josephine. He's like that character that he presents to Josephine, he kind of presents to everyone in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like there's, there's like, it's almost borderline comedic how he's portrayed where there's one scene where the British refuse to, I don't know, they, they refuse to make truce, uh, make a truce with France when he becomes consul. And there's a scene where he's like, you think you're better than us because you have boats. And it's just like, what? Like, why is he literally talks like a 12 year old there? And it's like the best scene in the movie. Not I know it's not, not really, but like it's close. Well, that's, it's like genuinely like Joaquin's portraying him borderline. Like it's, it feels like a parody of Napoleon. You, if, if this was portrayed as a parody, this actually would have been very funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like if they sure, this could have been a death of Stalin type thing where, they just it's like Ridley Scott just goes full British propaganda against Napoleon and they make fun of him for being short and they make him a whiny man child that wants sex like that movie is there there's it's, that full scene in where he's having dinner with Josephine and they get they get into an argument because Josephine cannot have children or hasn't given him a child yet and he says destiny brought me here destiny brought me this lamb chop yeah it's like it's it's actually like very funny in in certain ways you know and i think i think a historical piece that was just a straight-up comedy would have actually been very interesting and like refreshing you know Mm -hmm. but i just i can't tell what he was trying to do like was he trying to i think because i i just yeah i don't think he likes napoleon i think he was trying to portray him in a very poor way and um, I don't really know what the rest of the story was trying to do, if that makes sense. 
But yeah. Who was the other writer for this? David Scarpa is an American screenwriter. Okay, I was like, was, was this co-written by another Englishman who also hated Napoleon? <laughs> also hates them. Even like the end of the movie, like after Napoleon, also oh, spoiler, but Napoleon eventually dies. <laughs> no way. The, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the movie ends with him. It basically lists like all the French people that died, you know, fighting his wars, right? And it's like, Again, I understand, like, he, a lot of people died because of him. He shouldn't be portrayed as, like, a hero of France or anything, right? But it's just, there's a lot more nuance to to Napoleon, like, and that, that final scene of just, like, they just portray the deaths he caused from for France. They don't portray, like, you know, the fact that he was a big reason why republics became a huge thing in, in Europe. Uh, after a while because he basically took over europe and set up republics in like a lot of parts of europe which eventually led to the end of the monarchs you know a lot of a lot of our democratic or constitutional stuff is like based on the napoleonic code which is quite interesting to me his revolutions and warfare like none of that is portrayed at all and they basically try to make him look like a power hungry tyrant which he was he was I don't want to say that, but they were just portraying that one side of him. And it's just, that's not interesting as a movie. If you want to do that, like, do it about Hitler or something. I don't know, because... Well, and I also don't think, I don't think they lean enough into, like, what you're saying is they're leaning into one side. And I don't think they lean enough into that one side to make that movie about that one side. Like, if you're making a hit piece about Napoleon, where he's a weird little dude who does weird little things, and you're supposed to hate him because he's just the strangest person you've ever seen. And he's a little baby. Like that's what this movie does. But the rest of the movie around it is fully serious to the point where you can't like take seriously that the people around him actually listened to him because mm-hmm. he's this weird little dude that everyone who he encounter everyone who encounters him or like everyone that he talks to, he makes that conversation very strange and, like, you don't get the impression that anyone really likes being around him. And yet, they have scenes where he, like, walks into a little French village and he's being, and, and like, he's met by an entire battalion of people who are just there to shoot him. And he walks up to them and he's like, guys, I'm Napoleon. Come on, you know me. Let's go. And they <laughs> no. all turn to his side. Like, yeah. You can't, this movie, if you want to portray Napoleon as a general that people look up to, then you have to do that. If you want to portray him as someone that people think is very, is like very strange and no one likes, you have to do that. And this movie kind of tries to do it mostly portrays him negatively because in his character interactions, he sucks. But Mm. then like, it still expects us. It doesn't show us enough of why people would respect him, that it makes sense that everyone who is an extra in this movie respects him. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, that scene you're talking about where no one shoots him. It's like, they were literally laughing at him like two, like five seconds earlier. Then he's like, guys, I miss France. I miss you guys. Will you have me back? And they're like, yeah, long live the emperor. It's just like, what? Like, cause apparently like, you know, in real, the real speech is, or I don't know if there was like an actual interaction because I, I think he made that speech a lot because it sounds like quite a few armies were sent to him and then he just convinced them to join him. Um, 
but there are there are accounts of what he said and it was so much more interesting than you know what we got which was just like like you said it's like i'm napoleon like join me you know it's like it doesn't like and it makes it makes everyone else look so stupid too it's like why was europe so afraid of this guy you know it makes the french look stupid it's like why would anyone follow this man to the how did he become how did he become the emperor he just kind of it just kind of happens in the movie it's there's a scene right at the end that I think is so weird looking back on it. And there's a lot of weird scenes in this in this movie, but there's one that just really stands out. It's where, you know, the movie is about to end, which, um, you know, is I, I was I wasn't like struggling to stay in my seat at that point. But when I found out that the movie was about to end, I'm like, OK, cool. Uh, but <laughs> like at the very end, he's talking about they're outnumbered. The forces of France are outnumbered. It's not going to really work out, but he's got a battle plan. And so they just have to follow his plan and they can probably win against these five different armies that are at different spots. And, and we're all going to meet here. And he points down to the map and the camera pans over and it says Waterloo. And it's a really strange scene because in universe, there is no reason that we should expect that he's like saying, we got to meet at Waterloo where I will have my big defeat. But the way that the movie frames it, it's like, you know what happens next, guys. It's like, it's actually the point where the movie is winking and nodding at the camera the most, which is so weird. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose this, basically. And the battle, the battle scenes themselves aren't interesting enough. Like, I get that you can't, like, obviously you can't show a lot of the battles because, you know, like just budget-wise, I think it'd be too intense to just have a movie full of of historical battles. But the two battles they show, which are, like, quite pivotal, like, just make everyone out. I mean, Napoleon looks like like an idiot, like, on the battlefield in that last one in Waterloo, you know, where he, he literally just, like, slowly sends each of his troops to fight in a very obviously losing battle and um and the british look like complete bosses who, who like none of the british die and they're just like completely organized and stuff and it's like it's like that's not an interesting battle at least show like some battle tactics or something i did like how the i thought it was cool seeing the british uh create the like the square formations to repel cavalry which mm-hmm. was quite i think that was like pretty like a, a pretty common tactic at the time but so there's like stuff like that I thought was pretty cool. Um, but overall, like that whole scene is just Napoleon looks like a complete idiot. And it's like, you're, you're going to show like the supposedly like the one of the greatest military minds of, of all time. And this he has two battles in this movie. One, he wins because I, it makes him look like kind of lucky with the ice, in my opinion. Maybe a little lucky, but I thought that made him look... it. it it maybe wasn't the best possible portrayal of that fight, but to me, it made him look kind of smart because like he brings every, like he sees people fleeing onto the ice and then breaks the ice. And I'm Mm. like, ah, did he see the ice? Did he plan that? Is that like, Mm. was he funneling them all there so that he could get record losses real fast with his cannons? It's Mm. like, I don't know that that like the entire battle leads up to that. And that's really the main point of that like the main moment of that battle but that Mm -hmm. seems like a really clever moment hope maybe maybe one of many within a battle but like 
So, you know, maybe there was a lot more they could have shown, but like that one moment, I'm like, that's cool. Okay. Mm. I see why he's smart and dangerous. And then in Mm. Waterloo, like he just eats shit the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even close. Um, But the English general gets to like stand on his hill going, "Ah." and we get like some (laughs) close-ups of him going. It's literally like British propaganda. (laughs) I can't even, I I don't, I don't under, and they even, I don't know. There's that one, it's like a subplot to the fight where the, the rifleman says he has eyes on Napoleon and he can shoot him. And the Englishman's like, no, I don't want to be shooting at generals or something. It's like, what? What do you mean? Does that make any sense? <laughs> also, how was how was Napoleon just standing in range of like? Did they have snipers at the time? Like, was that a thing? I I I think maybe I know that like Wild West games that take place around that time do in fact have long range rifles. But so like, like, do you think Napoleon was stupid enough to just stand in the open where he could be sniped, knowing he could be sniped? And I just mean, like, you know, and th- if if they portrayed it right, that could have been his arrogance coming out. In this particular example, it seems strange because, like, he's arrogant, but this doesn't look like him being arrogant. This looks like him being careless. Yeah, he's just kind of standing there, like, because <laughs> he doesn't know that he's in range of the snipers, or at least it doesn't no. look like he knows. Yeah, yeah, I it just. Yeah, he, he looks he looked like an idiot in that scene. It's like, come on, like so you have two battle scenes, and like, like you you can't you can't tell me you thought that through if like he only looks good in one of them. And I wouldn't say it's like he just kind of stands there. Like I guess that makes him look cool. Where it's just like he had it all planned. He doesn't even have to say anything. It just happens. Um, but also, like what I I thought what was interesting about the point what I've read is that he was very. Um, he was an extremely charismatic leader with his troops. You know, he wasn't a guy that just stood there. Like one of the things that really got him the loyalty of his troops was that like, like he would, I, I apparently he would like, he would be part of the people, one of the people that would like load the cannons and fire them and stuff. Like he was part of the fighting process. This movie kind of portrays him as like a swordsman and a cavalryman, but that does, wasn't really what he did, which I guess kind of gets a across the idea that he was someone willing to fight with his troops but it just seems like an odd way to do it you know like i could be wrong would have been fine but i think i remember one scene where he actually does load a cannon but it doesn't look like he's doing that you know because that's what he needs to do he looks like he's doing that because he saw someone mess up and he's like covering for their mistake (laughs) Which I guess yeah. is also neat, but it's like, hey, you should have been doing this, not I'm going to do this to, like, inspire my troops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did, did you like Joaquin as, as Napoleon, like, performance-wise? Do you think he did good? Like, yes, but it's a little hard for me to judge because I think, I don't think he was necessarily in the wrong movie, but, like... <laughs> the rest of the movie wasn't playing as much to wasn't the same tone as Joaquin. And I thought that Joaquin playing a weird little dude, he was great at that. I mean, Joaquin is himself on occasion, a weird little dude. So like he, he makes it work perfectly. And I think he's a very good, he's a great casting choice for Napoleon. And I think that his performance was pretty good. I mean, to me, it's like the only part of the movie that I specifically remember. The rest of it, 
mostly glazed over. Like, that's the thing. Is like, I think the tone is so strange because if this was a movie even more so about how Napoleon was a weird little dude, I think it would have been awesome because I think they yeah. got the perfect Napoleon in Joaquin. But yeah. if, if he wanted to fit in more with the rest of the movie, he would have to be less weird and the movie would have, by extension, been much more boring. Which, and I don't, I don't really think that would be better. Like, even if that would have resulted in a movie you don't hate as much, that would have resulted in a movie that was boring. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I I think... You saw House of Gucci, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of Jared Leto. That's Jared exactly Leto. what like, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, I was like, great acting, just... It's, it's like they they took him from a comedy and placed him in a historical drama. Um, yeah, it's like this is a serious this this is a serious movie, Jared Leto. So Spaghetti Arabiata, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the one we want. Um, I also i i don't I don't know why, but I just I don't really like Vanessa Kirby. I've never i there's no roles I've seen where she really like I don't. I don't want to throw under the bus for this movie because obviously this was just a weird movie and I think it'd be tough to pour, to act alongside uh, Joaquin in this role. Cause you'd just be kind of confused as to what was going on. Like you'd be like, wait, is this a comedy or like what, what movie are we doing? Is he, what's um, he doing with his leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I've seen her in like what mission impossible and the, what it was like know. the rock, the rock movie, fast and furious uh, spinoff. Uh, oh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, Hobbs and Shaw. I just, I don't really, I don't think she has much charisma. I don't think she's a great actor. Like, she's not bad, but she doesn't she really, really elevate any of the roles. Oh, she was, yeah. No, she was good in that. I forgot about that. I mean, I am always almost, like, willing to a fault to say that the actors just didn't get the right material. And I think that with Vanessa Kirby too, but like, I don't know what the right material is. Cause I have only really liked her in pieces of a woman so far. Yeah. Well, get her for the pieces of a woman sequel. Let's get that thing going. I don't want, I don't know <laughs> if I want career. <laughs> uh, pieces of a woman to more pieces. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, I, I genuinely, I'm, I'm confused as to how she gets so many roles, especially in these like, relatively big movies because um i i don't i don't know if she she has it in her personally um but yeah oh she was good in the crown too actually i liked her in the crown i think she should just i i think she has the chops she just like she should play more like smaller roles i guess like in more intimate movies i think that might work better for her who knows anyways i don't i don't know if anyone in this movie i really liked um, as an actor because everyone else other than them weren't really expanded upon like all of napoleon's like i'd say like generals slash like like people that worked with them we don't really get an extended look at any of them um yeah i thought uh, him oh. and the, the russian Tsar had kind of a cute little scene but like they, they only get like the one scene like i thought they kind of had some chemistry i wish we got more of that but we did we didn't get any of that either yeah, um, Tahar Rahim was in this movie, who I haven't seen that in that many things, but like I was kind of excited to see him in this, and I guess he wasn't technically unrecognizable as Paul Barris, but I didn't recognize him because I haven't seen him in enough things. And Paul Barris was 
despite being third build, he did not seem important. I know he technically was, but he just had like no presence in this movie. Yeah, I, I think. Well, he had a little more at the start, right? Was he the one oh, that? Yeah. Was he was he the one that tells Napoleon about uh, the cheating? I think so. Okay. I think that's him. Yeah. Like there was kind of something there, but yeah, again, like we, he's only really used for expositional dialogue, essentially, for someone Napoleon can talk to at the mm-hmm. start. I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised, considering the budget, that there weren't more like big names um, in the side. But also, like, I don't, if I was a big actor, I don't think there were any other roles in this that would really warrant having a big actor um, yeah, in that role. There's, so there's only really three, maybe four big roles if you count the Tsar of Russia. And like, <laughs> who gets one scene? <laughs> yeah. Maybe two so scenes. It's, like, it's, it's not, there's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There isn't really room for an ensemble cast here it really all hangs on joaquin phoenix and vanessa kirby who i don't know i'm sure vanessa kirby would be great as empress josephine in a movie where napoleon was played by someone different and i'm sure that and i mean joaquin phoenix is great as napoleon uh but no one else is like i'm not saying this that he i'm not saying this in a way of he's miles above everyone else but no one else is on his level it's like everyone is acting on a stage and he's out in the audience doing something yeah dude even like the dialogue like those letters i can't hear another dear josephine letter like like i don't like what keen sounded so it's like they brought him in for like it was like a year later and he forgot about the movie and they were like, come in, we want you to read some letters so that we can edit this movie together. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then he just kind of like, it's like, it sounded like he was hung over or something that day. Cause <laughs> he just, he was not feeling, he was not feeling the letters and the dialogue in them was just so bad too. It was like, dear Josephine, I miss, I miss like your warmth and like, and like Egypt is not the same without you or something. I, I don't know, dude. Like, it was just like, like you should be writing me a letter every day. I write you a it, letter every day, and if you were really thankful, if you dude, really yeah. liked me, you would write me two letters every day. It reminded me of uh, Star Wars Episode Two, Anakin, Anakin dialogue, <laughs> where, <laughs> where he's just saying things that really no one would say, um, ever. I don't know. Like, it's just they a had lot. so many opportunities for Napoleon in Egypt to say, "I hate sand." And he didn't do it. Right. Very yeah. sad. It is unfortunate. Maybe you're right. Vanessa Kirby might have been really good in this. If she was playing with someone that, you know, was younger, I think. Because she, she actually is the right age, I think, for, mm-hmm. for the role. So I thought, yeah, she would have been believable. It was just maybe had the wrong co-star. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So I guess my main question for you is, is this your favorite Joaquin Phoenix movie that you've seen this year? Yes. Technically, I saw Signs this year. So I liked Joaquin a lot in that. But obviously, it came out 22 years ago. So it doesn't really count. 21 years ago. You you should, if you get a chance, watch Bo is Afraid. Because that is also a movie where Joaquin plays a weird little guy. But the world is also weird little guys. Because it's Ari Aster. (laughs) So it is a weird little movie from a weird little guy about a weird little guy who can't talk to his mom. 
maybe they filmed it on the same lot and he was just going <laughs> going between sets every day and so he got confused as to what he was playing for what it's worth he's a weird little guy in a different way like oh, okay, he's, it's it's actually almost the opposite where in this movie the world was serious and he was weird in uh in Bo is afraid i would say the world is extremely weird and he's about as serious as it gets within that world it's it's very strange but uh it's gonna be my that's gonna be my recommendation of the day if you're thinking about seeing napoleon go and watch Bo is afraid yeah watch that instead actually i don't i've, I've heard some mixed things that it's, i don't want to i don't want to hurt i don't want to ruin every, anyone's day by seeing like this is definitely better and then i've never actually seen it so Bo's afraid is like it's probably the weirdest avant-garde movie that ari aster has ever made so please keep that in mind if you like ari aster great if you like ari aster because he's weird better if you're ready to go with the weirdest thing he's ever made like just prepare for that Perfect. Because it is uh, it is not as conventionally appealing as Hereditary or Midsummer, which are already not. I I think conventionally appealing are not the uh, the words you would use for yeah. those either. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what would you give Napoleon out of ten? God, like a two out of ten, I'd say. Damn, I'm gonna stick with like a soft five, and it's mostly mm. because like Joaquin Phoenix is very funny in this and i don't think he, and then like i don't know i really enjoyed every time joaquin phoenix got on screen and delivered another banger like you only think you're so hot because you got boats <laughs> we'll see is that maybe the script writer is a lot maybe the script writer wrote a comedy and really scott I'm was like this is an amazing drama piece on Napoleon. Can I use this? And the the writer's like, well, I'm not going to say no to Ridley Scott. So he's just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's totally a drama, of course. <laughs> I was, I don't, I think the writer, did you read about the writer? I did not. I heard he might have written something that was very bad. And that might explain why the movie's uh, the way it is. Well, anyway, that's, uh, that's Napoleon. So uh, Napoleon. what... What what last piece of wisdom do you have to impart on us today, Pierre? What's your last word? <laughs> Boats. <laughs>